Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Coming up in 20 minutes, Bradley Jackson, the director of Facing Nolan, a film that will debut starting tomorrow. We will uh, chat with Bradley Jackson, the director Looking forward to uh, the behind-the-scenes look of this, plus being able to actually see the film starting tomorrow. Trailer, Chad, I know you watched it earlier today. Paul, as well. Looks cool. Something. It's uh, the legends like Nolan Ryan are few and far between. That mythic status with a guy like Nolan Ryan. So I'm looking forward to this interview because there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to the onion to peel back on the Nolan Ryan story and mythology. So this will be fun. Um, so the reports are out this morning that NFL owners are counting votes on whether or not they could get uh, as, uh, enough needed, which would be 24 votes of the 32 NFL owners, um, to oust Daniel Snyder uh, based on the allegations that he was skimming money off the top or uh, doing that through ticket sales. Uh, which would be revenue that the entire league would share. And again, this is all alleged to this point, um, but it's through a, a, a big-time investigation. And now the NFL owners are chatting about it behind the scenes. That got their attention. You take money out of their plate. I'm laughing only because how often in Daniel Snyder's life do you think he's had to respond to something by saying, allegedly? <laughs> Well, right, I, anything I talked about, it's like, like, guys, uh, it's been alleged right now that this happened. I, this I is from Jarrett Bell uh, at USA Today. But it's through an anonymous owner who, yep. you know, you can tell they're starting to talk about it because if, 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 con, if confirmed, if found uh, guilty that he did this, if they could prove it, um, if the investigation says, yeah, you, you did this, uh, the owners are saying, okay, if this happens, are we going to have 24 votes to get him out. Yeah. And this is on top of Daniel Snyder giving the league consistent, you know, black eyes in terms of PR with the sexual assault, the cheerleading incidents and all of the things that the league had found. Um, in Jarrett Bell's reporting, it said, and I don't know that I'd heard this before. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong that it hadn't been out there before that if Mary, was it Mary Jo White that did the initial investigation? Uh, yes. That yes. if she had filed a written report, she would have recommended that he be stripped of the team. But, of course, she didn't file a written report because she presented her findings orally to, stripped to of Commissioner the team Roger or Goodell. Stripped of ownership, like, would she have recommended ousted. that She would have recommended he, he be ousted. Because technically, Tanya Snyder... It would have been up to the league as to how okay. they did that, gotcha. obviously. Uh, it was well, my so interpretation. Th- they can recommend that to the league. I-, I don't understand, you know, when the Donald Sterling thing happened, which I saw that FX is actually doing a show with Ed O'Neill uh, from Married with Children and Modern Family starring as, as uh, Snyder, or sorry, uh, Sterling. 
you know, the league forced him to sell the team. There were bylaws where he had to sell it. Now, he got the profit for selling the team and made a lot of money out of it. Can the league come back and say, we can't force you to sell. You can still make the money from the team. We can't tell you what to do with your property, but you can't be a part of the day-to-day operations. Well, Goodell's already done that. You can, you I mean, can that's be a, his current fate for the finding of the investigation. But you can, so, I mean, not but around at all. they can force him to sell with the 24 votes. Wow. Right? Well, the, the, yes, they can. No. Two-thirds, uh, the ownership. If your fellow owners say, we don't want you being an owner, now, they can make you be not okay, an th- owner. This is one anonymous um, owner. owner who has is, is told Jared Bell this. But Jared Bell's again, a good there, reporter, there is, I mean, I would believe the report. There, sure. But that's just one owner. Yep. And so the, the accusation is that um, Snyder and the commanders held two separate accounting books, uh, presumably in an effort to keep portions of revenue Which away is criminal behavior. from other owners. Uh, right. And we said all along this would be the thing but, that would tip people but, when well, they right. affect their because bank account. Because it affects their bank account. Criminal behavior alone is not doesn't, enough. doesn't no. get Trigger you to anything. this point for ownership to start uh, investigating amongst themselves, whether or not they're going to have enough votes to oust yeah, you. Bad behavior, criminal even uh, behavior activity, is not going to cause any owner to essentially kill one of their own and right. vote for them to have to sell their team. Stealing from that said owner will cause them to do that. Cheating the league, cheating them personally out of money, even if it's not a lot of money. I don't know what it is for each individual team with this whole scheme and what he did. Enough to make a difference. That's going to cause the – they're going to change their mind on that pretty quickly. And also with Daniel Snyder, you know, I hate to be the guy that says, you know, innocent, innocent until proven guilty, everyone says. Does anyone believe that he didn't do this after this accusation came out? I mean, I saw no, the story. I'm like, this is completely believable uh, with him and his guy. organization from him. So he probably did it. From this guy. He doesn't really get the benefit of the doubt. You're right. From this guy, he hasn't well, earned benefit of the doubt. That's right. But, but does, does he – I guess here's my big question with it. Will they be able to get 24 votes of the 32? And if they do, right. will he go down? You know, he's not going to just say, okay, I'll sell. He'll fight. He'll, he'll fight. I mean, they, they can get him, but I don't, he's not going to just back away like Donald Sterling, I don't think. I think he'll make a lot of noise and scream and fight and take them to court and the like. It's not like if they got the 24 votes, he'd disappear. I don't think this is coming to a vote in Atlanta at owners' meetings this week. And these are not the major owners' meetings that I was at, but uh, uh, you know, one of one of two or three other secondary owners' meetings they have during the course of the year. But uh, Jarrett Bell, I think, indicated it will be discussed, you know, in back rooms and stuff. Meanwhile, the Commanders have purchased land in Woodbridge, Virginia, which and is about twenty twenty minutes outside of D.C. People are not happy with this location uh, from the two hundred acres. Um, they're not happy with this location. Uh, a lot of people feel like it's pushing them to the Ravens. Um, now there's a secondary location that he also may be buying property, but his intent apparently is to build a domed stadium, uh, which made me automatically think of, of Nashville again. You know, Nashville working towards a domed, uh, a covered facility. Um, and here's another city uh, without the weather that would be, if it builds the right kind of facility, a contender for all those same events. Uh, national championship football game, mm-hmm. Final Four. Uh, this would also come with an amphitheater. Why you need a dome with an amphitheater, amphitheater I don't know. But that's, it's, it, the reports are it would be a 60,000-seat dome. They're creating a village. Yes, yes. Is what um, they're doing. 
So yeah. 60,000 seats. This is something that a buddy of mine brought to light. Uh, you know, because I, I, same assumption, right? Nashville, suburban D.C., any of these places builds a brand-new indoor stadium mm-hmm. in a typical cold-weather area. Super Bowl. They're going to get Super Bowl. They're going to get all the biggest events. But go back and look at the smallest stadium to host a Super Bowl. And I want to say it's like 72,000 is the smallest that they they've never gone under a certain number I think when you look at some of these down. smaller you know venues that are just something to keep in mind I don't think it would stop you know prevent it but it did make me think for a second and pause oh wow you're right when you look at all Super Bowl host stadiums it's, they're large venues I think it's to sell gonna, as many tickets as possible I think it's going to come down uh, I think it's going to have no choice but to come down because these places are going to be smaller. But I think a place like Washington at 60, I haven't heard a number on Nashville, but I suspect it would be max out at 68, which is what, what Nissan Stadium is. I suspect they would be less frequently in the rotation if you've got SoFi Stadium, which is bigger. If you've got Jerry World, which is bigger. Why would you come to Nashville more often, on, I mean, as, as frequently Glendale. as you would go to those places, which are bigger. So part of the choice is, and I think it's a wise choice, hey, I'll take one less lap in the Super Bowl thing in exchange for being better on game day for my team. And what's healthier for game day for my team is being a little less big to assure that it's a little bit more of a hot ticket. I'm having a spirited discussion with Ed uh, in the YouTube chat, and you can watch us on YouTube, digitally, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you go on social media. Um, Ed says, talking about Daniel Snyder and the differences here, he says, well, Robert Kraft was buying prostitutes at a strip mall. And I responded and said, Robert Kraft liking prostitutes and buying them at a strip mall doesn't take money from the owner, so they don't care and won't vote him out of office, essentially, for anything that's not affecting them. And their bottom line. And he, goes, he goes on to say, well, the owners of the Browns had to pay $92 million for ripping off truckers, and then you guys made him governor of Tennessee. I said, well, it's actually his brother, <laughs> not the owner of the Browns, that became governor of Tennessee. Uh, and I said, and again, robbed truckers, did not rob other NFL mm-hmm. owners. This is very – I'm going to put it to you in the simplest terms. These guys – do not care unless it affects them. But also, let's they go just, beyond they, that. They don't. Let's I go mean, beyond that. Let's look I'm at not what saying Robert that's the Kraft. most morally right thing, but they just don't care. No, it's not. And also, these owners have probably taken from someone at some point in their lives, and they don't want people to know about that. But people who run big businesses and corporations, let me let you in on a little secret. They've taken from someone at some point but let's and go, ripped them off. Let's go beyond that. Robert Kraft did something that's embarrassing for Robert Kraft, right? Dan Snyder's running an organization that had sexual harassment running rampant through his building. Which one of those is worse? Oh, it's Daniel Snyder. I mean, obviously, Daniel Snyder's stuff is worse. There were women that were working there who felt crappy about it every day, many of whom quit because of the environment. Cheerleaders who couldn't walk down glass stairs in the building because guys knew to go stand under the stairs to look upskirt. Uh, crap like that that was going on. That's way worse. Sorry. It's not good that Robert Kraft went and, uh, to Orchids of Asia, and it's personally embarrassing, but that was a Robert Kraft but issue, even, no, not I, a building-wide I, I, issue. I agree, Paul. When you're talking about you know, that, they're both, you know, they're both bad, but one's in. worse. But, again, the league owners didn't really care about all that. They fined yeah. them $10 million. They didn't care no, about the, you know, the, the cheerleader trips to the Caribbean. 
and what was going on there and uh, unlawful photography of them and everything else. The owners are only going to care when their bank account is affected. I, I agree. And if he, is, if he was willfully stealing from them, then they're going to kick I him agree. out. I agree. But if, if Daniel Snyder had a clean slate, if he was – uh, you yeah. know, Lamar if this Hunt was the first and strike. something happened. He could come back and say, I made a, a mistake here. I'm kind of, you know, Daniel Snyder had a crappy history. I was up against it financially. He could make an excuse. And now he's done this. His case is crap. Paul, how was it in Vegas? It was great. Uh, two of my very I best friends. I noticed a new car in the lot. From, from college, <laughs> yeah. Two of my very best friends from college. Unfortunately, two others couldn't make it. We had a great time. We had uh, the first dealer we were with probably for seven hours said we wow. were the most fun table she had in years. <laughs> That's a good run that you were able to stay afloat for seven yeah. hours. She said people bitch about the cards they get the whole time and they're grumpy <laughs> and that we were telling funny stories and laughing and having a good time. Best table she had awesome. in years. Love it. Uh, I've got Do you one- want to give her a shout out? Uh, Do you have her name? I don't know her name. Okay. She was from, uh, she had Portuguese heritage, so we talked a little about Portugal. Um, I she a big Cristiano Ronaldo fan? I asked, we didn't get to that either. I asked uh, two dealers the next day, what's the biggest mistake they ever made? And so we had really good conversations about that. One woman let somebody split a six and a two. You can only split paired cards. So she split a six and a two and paid out winners on oh. six and a two got in big trouble for that she said it's on her file forever can't do anything about it at, at mgm um and the other woman said she was dealing baccarat she also deals baccarat and paid out losing losing hands about two thousand dollars wow and also uh has big trouble how does both that of not happen said, more yeah both of them said um they were tired. It was the end of their shift, and the number one reason is that they're tired. And both of them talk about how they still think of that to this day, beat themselves up. Isn't that amazing, though? Like, I love I, – I appreciate and respect the hell out of people in any profession that are extremely efficient at that profession and don't make a lot of mistakes. I'm amazed that they had their story ready for you as long as they've been doing it, and that doesn't happen more often. Like, how often could your mind wonder why – while dealing cards like that, even if you've done it a million times and you, you pay the wrong person something or you do something else, I'm sure it's caught on you know, camera. Their boss Everything. is the pit yeah. boss. So they're going to see it and know what happens right away. But isn't that remarkable that that's, they could actually go back and recall the, the, the one or two mistakes they've made in the history of doing it? That's, one that's other incredible. thing Hutton knows, Good we, for them. we've played this together. The Wheel of Fortune slot machine is mm. the best slot machine, but they have ruined it. Because now, in order to be eligible for the main spin and a golden spin, which is a new thing that comes up on the video screen, you have to be playing seven or ten units. And there's multiple lines. So instead of three lines. Oh, yeah. I always play all lines. Yes. Well, now you play all lines on 20 bucks. You're done in two minutes because it's playing (laughs) ten units. Well, I got three spins the whole damn weekend, and it was a 40, a 30, and a – and a 45 or whatever. You go through the machines in no time now because – and everyone, we looked at everyone we passed. They were all exactly the same. So you couldn't find like an old one. What was the minimum? Is this a $5, $20 spin? What is it? Well, I, I looked Did for quarters, uh, quarter spins, but we played some dollar spins. But you threw them in no uh, time. It's tough to find the dollar spins, right? Yeah, like we the, found, I, we Because found. then you're, if you're playing all the lines, then you're playing, you know, $15, whatever it might be per spin. 
Um, it, it's tough to find the dollar, and they're always, you know, people don't get up from those very often. Yeah, and my friend Julio gave me very good advice. Julio was a guest on our old show after I got thrown out of Treasure Island one time, came on to, to be a witness. <laughs> He uh, works for the district attorney's office in New York City. He, uh, he gave me advice. He said he doesn't count any, um, any slot machine losses against his loss. <laughs> That's actually so a, a nice he's rule. He's got his blackjack losses are his losses. That's totally the, separate. Slot machine yeah. stuff's like food money. It's a video it goes game. with the food That's money. just for fun. So I took X in my pocket intending to lose no more than X. I was up almost, I had almost tripled my money on Friday. Then Saturday happened. That was unfortunate. Then Saturday night when we were all done gambling, we saw an amazing band and played a lot of pool and had a good time reminiscing. And Did you get to go to a sportsbook? If sports Saturday book? didn't happen, it would have been Did great. you go to a sportsbook? There's no reason to go to a sportsbook because I'm staying at an MGM and I have the MGM app. Yeah. And the MGM app well, That's why I wanted to ask you because we FanDuel talked about how, how have those changed mm. since there's so many online apps now where it's not I the did, same I appeal. didn't see much action at any of the books we walked by, but FanDuel's not active there in Colorado, but MGM is when you're standing in the MGM. So that's where the extent of my betting. I got one good payoff out of the Did Masters. you say Colorado? Oh, well, I, I was in Colorado, sorry, flying back. Okay, so I also gotcha. made a bet in Colorado because I had a layover. I, just, I didn't know Las Vegas had moved. Yeah. No, but in, in Las but Vegas, actually, this MGM new hotel works. Yeah. Based on the Grand Canyon. They're, they're, they're changing their image. Based on the Rockies. <laughs> I did buy Grand a Colorado sweatshirt. We want some country. more fresh air. We want a cool mountain breeze also. I was so cold on the first flight and so underwhelmed. I just had like one of these. I was like, I got to sleep on this next flight. I, I bought a nice Colorado sweatshirt. So I'm a big Colorado guy now. My so wife said, is that the universal? Buffaloes, avalanche. She said, is that the big? Bronco. Uh, she said, is that a universal symbol for Colorado? It's like a C inside a C. And I was like, that's perfect. I want it to be vague enough so people don't know what it is so I can wear it. Your downward spiral into full old man cold all the time is complete. You had to buy a sweatshirt so you could nap on a plane so you were warm enough. And, and then I could. Then I didn't sleep on that flight. I, uh, flight. Oh. I watched Trouble with the Curve. Did you get too Clint, hot? Clint Eastwood and Amy Adams. Oh wow! Have you seen it before? Yeah. It's cheesy, watch again? But, uh, but good. Yeah. Uh, Justin from, Timberlake in that yeah, film. He was good. From curveball to fastball, we talked Nolan Ryan straight ahead. We've got the director of Facing Nolan next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. New film on Nolan Ryan debuts tomorrow. Facing Nolan. And the director is Bradley Jackson. He joins us on OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Bradley, great to have you on the show. Our, our common friend and John McClain, I know, is, uh, makes an appearance in this as well. Looking forward to, to seeing this. Uh, we've, we've seen the trailer. We've certainly been reading up on your project. Congratulations on, uh, for the 24th finally rolling around and being able to debut this. Thank you so much, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, John McClain, uh, the legendary Houston sports writer, uh, has a couple of uh, killer sound bites in the movie. So uh, it's great to, great to have him in that. How long of a project has this been for you? <clears throat> um, 
pretty much from the uh, from from the green light of starting to make the film to premiering it at the South by Southwest Film Festival in March of this year. It was about 15 months, which in the scope of making a, a documentary is is very fast, which kind of makes sense. Nolan Ryan threw the fastest pitch of all time. So his his documentary should come together just as quickly. So when you start you know, a project like this and the subject is Nolan Ryan and you are getting people to interview for this, there has to be certain subjects that people immediately say, yes, I'll do whatever it takes. I want to talk about this person. And other people that you shoot a documentary about them and people may be a little bit more hesitant to talk about them on camera. What was the experience like when you went to people gathering interviews for Nolan Ryan? It was, uh, it was, yes, and how quickly can we do this because we're so excited to talk about him. I mean, we have, I think we have eight Hall of Fame players in this film and, and an ex-president. Um, and, you know, they're not showing up in front of the camera because of me. They're showing up in front of the camera because of Nolan Ryan and the Ryan family. Their Rolodex is pretty extensive, and so they make a quick call, and uh, they say, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's talk. One person did not say, yeah, let's talk, uh, who was involved in the, the famous fight with Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura. What, what did he say and how did he express his uh, no? Um, well, <laughs> we just never got any response. You know, I, it was one of those. I mean, if you're if you're a baseball fan and you know anything about Nolan Ryan, you know that amongst the uh, litany of records that he has, uh, he's also famous for, um, you know, the most punches thrown in a game without getting thrown out of the game uh, against Robin Ventura. And so I really wanted to interview Ventura. And by all accounts, we heard that he has no bad blood towards Nolan. And I know Nolan has no bad blood towards him, but we just never got a response. I wrote him a personal letter. Um, we tried multiple different avenues um and he just no response how did he not get thrown out of that game what was nolan say about it did, did, did you were you able to, to do any investigation with the umpires that that umped that game what, what's the story there i think you just have to have two eyes to notice why nolan didn't get thrown out of that game was because he he didn't uh you know it wasn't nolan did not invite the fight to come to him robin charged the mound and Nolan, as, as all Texans say, was just defending his turf. Uh, also, I think it didn't hurt the fact that Nolan was almost 47 years old um, when this happened. And so I don't think they were like and, – and he was in his last season. And I think there was like, let's not, let's not throw him out right now. But I think what people don't remember is that after he was thrown out – after Ventura gets thrown out, Nolan proceeds to throw a no-hitter after that moment. Bradley Jackson is the director of Facing Nolan, which uh, is available for you tomorrow. Um, do you get into the story of the, the first person hit by Nolan Ryan, no matter who it was, was going to charge the mound? Yes. Yeah, we do. We, we have a lot of great um, voices that kind of give some context, one of which is the legendary pitching coach, uh, Dr. Tom House. Um, and, you know, Tom House knew all had all the inside scoop about the bounty that was put on Nolan's head um, because there was some really bad blood between the White Sox and the Rangers at that time. Bradley Jackson, our guest. 
Bradley, uh, I, I'm amazed by you know the physical strength uh, of Nolan Ryan and what he was capable of in terms of velocity, but also endurance over the course of his career. Uh, how much did you get into that aspect of the legendary Nolan Ryan in this film? You know, I, I'm glad you're using the term legendary um, because it is it is a legend, even though like he existed. Sometimes legends get exaggerated, but if you look at the numbers. It's hard to exaggerate those numbers because uh, they're real. We have, the, we have the footage. But, you know, what isn't exaggerated as well is how hard he worked. And also not just how hard he worked, but how um, open he was to some of the more cutting edge methods of, of working out. You know, back in the 70s, you know, it was common knowledge that uh, pitchers did not um, lift weights. They thought it was bad for pitchers to lift weights. But Nolan was like, well, when I lift weights, I play better and I recover faster. So Nolan would not listen to his trainers and he would sneak into the weight rooms um, to, to work out. And then when he moved to the Rangers, when he's turning 40, he has this kind of some people thought he was a bit of a hippie, this pitching coach, Tom House. And they, they really did some very cutting edge sports science. This is the early days of sports sciences and kinesiology and. No one was on the forefront of that. And it's, that's why he was able to pitch effectively up until he turned 47. We know um, this day and age, if a guy's got blood on him, uh, game stopped and he's cleaned up. But uh, was it Bo Jackson who bloodied Nolan's lip? Not, not in a fight, but with a ground ball. And then George Brett faced him while he had blood basically dripping down his chin. Yeah, exactly. We get into that story. Um, because you know, that, that's the image that sometimes is emblazoned in people's mind. It's either the, the image of Nolan with the, with Robin in the headlock or Nolan covered in blood on the mound. And a lot of people think it's the same game, but it's, it's a different game. And, um, yeah, I mean, Nolan, not, not only did he finish the game with a bloody lip, but he got stitches, he got sewed up in between innings uh and of course you know that's not getting that's not going to happen today i mean clayton kershaw gets pulled out while throwing a perfect game in the seventh and uh, nolan stays in and throws a complete game when he's got you know blood pouring down his lips bradley jackson is the director of facing nolan uh a film on nolan ryan uh what is it like pulling up to his eighteen thousand acre ranch bradley uh well which one because uh, he has three of them. Um, well, did you have to pull up there to, to go shoot? Is that where you, you met him to do yeah. this? Which was the most impressive, I guess, is what we're asking. Well, there's the fully functioning cattle ranch uh, that we filmed him on, and that's, that's what he calls the work ranch. Um, that one was pretty impressive, and we were told we needed to wear snake boots uh, to film with him because uh, there's rattlesnakes everywhere. So um, that was definitely intimidating. Um, but then there's his like family ranch, um, which is, we, we got to film with his whole family there and that was really special, but definitely watching Nolan walk into the cattle pens and just do it like an honest day's work at the age of 74 was, uh, was pretty, pretty impressive to film. It's, it also amazed me just watching the trailer and, you know, the parts of this, obviously I'm going to watch the entire film and get the, the full picture, but. Uh, I would never think of Nolan Ryan as a guy who wanted to quit at any point uh, as long as he lasted in Major League Baseball. But in the trailer, there was a point in his career where he wanted to give it up, and 
Was it his wife that talked him out of it? Yeah, this movie really is, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, Nolan's son Reed said it best. He feels like this movie is a love story wrapped up in baseball. And that's what we try to showcase with his wife. Yeah, Nolan was, uh, Nolan was a below 500 pitcher uh, up until he got to the angels. He was not the Nolan Ryan that you think of today. Um, and so when he, when he went to the angels, nobody expected him to become the hall of fame level pitcher that he did in a short period. And there was a strike that was happening in the league and I just had his first and more. And we lost, uh, I have lost Bradley. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's away from his headset or what's going on there, but we'll you guys hear me down. Now we, can, now yes. we got you. Yeah. Bradley oh, Jackson right. with us. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, Nolan. Um, yeah, he, he was, uh, he was going to quit in the age of, uh, prior Raleigh Red when he was like 24, he was going to quit. And then his wife talked him out of it. What, um, he was the first million dollar player. Uh, and I'm presuming that was in all sports because baseball was king at, at the time. Um, yeah. Did that did that mean much to him? Because he seemed like a, a you know relatively simple, straightforward guy. I don't imagine he was uh, waving that on a flag around. But uh, it's still for a guy that was going to quit to be uh, the first guy to hit that benchmark had to be a pretty big deal. It was. I definitely think he knew he was worth it. And the fact that he got traded to the Astros, so he was coming to Texas, which he was obviously that's his hometown is Houston slash Alvin, which is a, you know, a small town right outside of Houston. Um, but I think what's really interesting, too, is that Nolan was paid the exact same amount for nine years at, at the Astros. He never he never tried to renegotiate his contract. Because uh, he always wanted that money to go back into the, the ball club. And those, those 80s Astros teams almost made the World Series twice. But then when he was about to leave, you know, uh, uh, when he it was time to renegotiate his contract going into the 89 season, the owner of the team tried to get him to take a 20% hometown discount. And uh, he, he was not about to have that. So that's when he moved over to the Rangers. Who surprised you the most in chatting with him about Nolan Ryan? I would have to say it was Randy Johnson. Um, not because I didn't think Randy had great things to say, but because I, I kind of associated Randy Johnson with a very uh, stoic, intimidating presence. And he was just warm and very gregarious and just thrilled to talk about um, really somebody who I think he considers a hero and a mentor. That relationship was facilitated by Tom House early on, was it not? Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, Randy will openly talk about how uh, Tom House and Nolan Ryan changed his career. Um, they, they worked with him, you know, during a series between the Rangers and the Mariners. Uh, Randy was not, was not pitching well and had been in a, in a bit of a slump. And Nolan and Tom, like, called him up and were just like, show up at this, you know, this baseball diamond at 6 a.m. tomorrow and we think we can fix you. And they did. Bradley Jackson has been our guest. He's the director of Facing Nolan. Um, congratulations on this. We can't wait to watch it uh, starting tomorrow. And uh, we wish you all the success with this. What, what's your next project? 
the next the film I'm working on right now is about the Milli Vanilli music scandal of the 90s. Oh. So we are uh, we are about a year into filming that, and hopefully it should be out around this time next year. And, and that, that, that scandal too. originated in Germany, right? I, right. I've actually yeah. read a little bit about this. Yeah, Frank Farian, is that right? Oh, wow, you know who Frank Farian is. Yeah, I, I, yes. I read an interesting article about this uh, recently, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing that one as well. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, yeah, and then tomorrow is the, the, the one night only you can see the movie, so go to facingnolan.com and uh, type in your zip code, and it'll tell you what theaters it's playing at. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Bradley. We appreciate you, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks. All right. If only, Nolan. if only Chad could have impressed Dennis Leary like that. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. Oh, you know who Frank Farian <laughs> is? Frank oh, Frank Farian. I said wow. I got, oh, you like that, You huh? really know the movies, the film industry. Yeah. Oh, you've seen that one, huh? Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, I haven't seen that one either, Have you huh? seen Philomena? Yeah. Oh, no. Is this your movie, guys? I haven't seen anything. <laughs> oh, what a great moment. That was a great moment right there. Hey, Jimbo Fisher continues to have great moments. Apparently, the gag order doesn't apply to him because he has continued to talk about Nick Saban in an interview with a San Antonio TV station. Keep it coming. Now is, uh, is where he's going. By the way, the whole SEC gag order, Paul, you weren't here on Friday. We had Clark Lee, Vanderbilt head coach in studio, and we, we were thinking the whole time leading up to it, oh, maybe he doesn't show because news earlier that day was through Paul Pabst of Dan Patrick's show tweeted out, Lane Kiffin was going to join us, but Ole Miss got with us and said the commissioner is asking coaches not to talk. What we found out was the commissioner was asking Lane Kiffin not to talk. So I think Ole Miss presented like it's a league-wide thing. Which it was not. But really it was probably Dan Patrick's show tweeting out, Lane Kiffin's going to join us today to talk about this. And the commissioner picking up the phone said, yeah, don't do that. You're the one we don't want talking about. And Clark Lee was funny. He said, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm much of a worry for the commissioner of the coaches in the league. So I think he's fine with us coming on and doing it, yeah. I, I opened the segment, Paul, by saying, um, you know, yesterday headlines dominated by Jimbo Fisher re- responding to Nick Saban, and that prompted Vanderbilt to reach out to us so Clark Lee could also issue his response. Yes, yes, yes of course. To Nick Saban, and uh, that we, was just his press conference. Yeah, with that us. was his press. Guys, conference. I actually have some things I want to say about NIL also, and we'll now's get, the time to do it. We'll get into Jimbo Fisher and what he said recently uh, and, and, and lately, um, doubling down on a, a couple of things, which is just. Absurd. Well, it's reached the point and, now, Hutton, where we're going to get into his exact quotes. He needs to stop saying so much because the more he says, the more, the, the more idiotic he appears to act like he doesn't know anything about all of college football and what's happening right now. Right. And it, to me, if it, the more and more he talks, Jed, the more and more if I'm Saban or if I'm Alabama, I'm going, see? Yeah. See? Here's what, exactly what we're talking about. Uh, we'll get into that. Plus, in New York – the end of an era. The last phone booth has been removed. I'm so, I, it has I, been removed. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on this. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine here in Nashville. Welcome back. OutK360 rolls on across the OutKick network. 
Um, Chad, Jimbo Fisher He's, continues to speak. He is back at it. He did a, a interview with a local San Antonio TV station, and uh, I would credit the station if I can find the call letters. Either way, so he goes on and talks to this uh, interviewer and says, it's all false. It was written on social media, so everybody believes it, and you've got news channels believing it, and you believed it. Do you guys not research? Now he's asking the TV station. I'm asking you, did you do your research? No, you just assumed, and that's the way this world goes now. The reporter's conversation with Jimbo Fisher continues with the reporter asking, why did Nick Saban make those accusations against, against Jimbo Fisher? At this point, Jimbo Fisher, looking frustrated, turns to someone, probably his communications person, saying, stop interrupting me and stop interrupting him, the person asking the interview, probably not wanting him to answer. And he says, I know the truth. I've always known the truth. You'll have to ask him. Why did you make that accusation? I don't know. You're going to have to ask him. And then goes on to say, they asked if they've talked since. He says, no, we haven't talked. I said, we're still not talking. Now, we've reached the point of this where the more Jimbo Fisher talks and gets really, really upset about it, the more I believe that A&M bought every, every recruit, <laughs> exactly like Nick Saban is saying that happened. He's rattled. Um, Steve Spurrier also was asked about this and said, well, everything that Nick Saban said was true, so I don't know why Jimbo Fisher's mad, was his response, talking about A&M buying every recruit that's out there. Now, that could be a shot at Jimbo Fisher because he was Florida State's head coach at one point, and that's obviously a big rival of Florida, and he may not like Jimbo Fisher and likes Nick Saban more. I don't know. But look, money was involved. You know, Jimbo Fisher's big thing is now the 11 guys we have on campus right now that's here early, only one of them has an NIL deal. These are semantics. That, that's probably true, that they, they have one technical NIL deal, and there could be other arrangements that were made that will be future, quote, NIL deals that helped seal the deal to get these guys to a and I'm not saying all of them, but some of them. And to put your head in the sand and pretend like none of this is happening, I think eventually it's going to make him look foolish. Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban both have this West Virginia chip on the shoulder, you think you're smarter than me type demeanor, and they get real worked up when they feel like they're being challenged in any way. And I think this is part of what Jimbo Fisher is going through right now. What do you think about all that, Paul? I can't stand that about either of the them. The presser this, was unbelievable. This, it was um, awesome. The press conference is great. The, I didn't see the press conference. Oh, it I've, is, it I've is only nine, read. Nine and a half minutes of just I mean, He called a press conference. and Here's how good it was. We, we came in Friday and, and said instead, normally we would be playing the best of cuts from whatever Fisher had to say in response. Thing? It was so good. Like, it, it just – jam-packed full of response like question it wasn't just Q&A and every now and then you have like a uh, two or three sentence answer just to move on from a question this was Jimbo Fisher's scorched earth against Nick Saban saying that he should have been slapped as a child like all he said he of, said my mama would have slapped me for this type of behavior maybe someone should have slapped him yes when he was growing I mean, up it, it is unbelievable and the fact that uh, someone snapped back at Saban the way that Jimbo Fisher did knowing their past and knowing that this is the same coach who stood outside of the Alabama locker room whenever Alabama beat them 
was this uh, 2018. Someone's put together the video where he stood outside the locker room waiting on Saban an hour after the game to chat with his old head coach. Um, and um, while they Times were, while he was waiting on Saban, could do nothing but glow about Saban and the job that he's done at the program. Uh, to, to now fast forward to 2022 and to see the presser that we got was yeah, unbelievable. Are we going to see a handshake after the next game? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I still feel like they're going to speak at some point, you know, before the season. And I think there's a lot of people. Saban called him. Didn't answer. Yeah, he's and he's not. Right? He said he's not he calling said back. Done. He said we're done. We're not speaking. Um, and he did confirm that he called. But I mean, Paul, he uh, it, it's unbelievable. He he goes on to say, I mean, go look into how he he's built his program. They want to act like he's the god of football. Well, let's see what your god has done. I, I saw to build that. Things. I mean, he goes all in. And he's just daring. Hey, go do your research. The media, basically, uh, an open call. Someone go and research Nick Saban and how he's built an empire and what he's done along the way. Ask other people who have worked for him. The problem is, because Nick Saban is the czar of college football and the god of college football, there's not many people who's worked for him that's going to go out there publicly and say these things that Jimbo Fisher has. Kirby Smart sure as heck isn't doing it. And Kirby Smart just beat him for the national championship. Yeah, nobody's going to side with Fisher here. Uh, It doesn't do you much good to get on Nick Saban's bad side, but I do like somebody... Actually willing to, to challenge him on something. I don't like him, obviously. But I do think that this is one, Paul, where it's Nick Saban got on everyone's bad side. Now, Jimbo Fisher, I think the way he responded rubbed a lot of coaches the wrong way, too. But with what Nick Saban said, there's not a single coach that's out there like, oh, he did things the right way. Oh, yeah. And Nick Saban, for his button up and as prepared as he is in all things, and he's usually saying something with a purpose, with a meaning – um, he stepped in it here. I think he just went too far. He, yeah. he was talking about it, and he, he said, I should not have named specific names and called out any individual programs, but my broader points remain about my issues with NIL. I so, don't apologize for any of that. There's a certain – is it – I mean, it's hard to imagine he's naive on any front here. So has he just convinced himself that, like, we're above board and everybody else is not? I think it's easy to convince yourself that Which coach? when you get the because results. Because both of them Same. believe that. Oh, I mean, I, I think, yeah. Look, I think it's easy to convince yourself that even if you have knowledge that, let's say, boosters are, you know, uh, giving a car to kids that are on campus but, that are of certain – or giving them $50,000. This, was not, this well, was not about um, being above board. This was, in, this was a message to fans and boosters saying, hey, Texas A&M, they're out raising you. It's time to donate more. Because Texas A&M is down there paying players, bought everybody. And here we are. Here we are at Alabama, and we've got to, we've got to compete with that. Um, so let's go. So, yeah. So it's more of a fundraising tactic and a motivating speech. But in, instead of saying it that way, where, hey, we've got, to, we've got to keep up with the Joneses. Alabama's not at the top of the mountain when it comes to NIL anymore. You know, instead of saying that, he specifically named – Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, and their recruiting class, and then mentioned how Jackson State got a player to go for a million dollars to play for Deion Sanders, which Deion then came back and fired back and said it wasn't true. That, it was that tact that would rub people the wrong way. What, what Nick Saban said, though, has been said behind the scenes by coaches. Yeah, they just haven't said it publicly. Kirby Smart said And it. what Jimbo Fisher said about Nick Saban has been said behind the scenes. Just not he just said it publicly. somebody in front of a camera. That was what was so fascinating about all this yeah, on Friday. Yeah, so they raised I, it to a new level. The biggest problem I have with what Nick Saban said was just the, 
how the totality of they bought everyone, we bought no one. I've, I've got a real Little problem extreme. with that. Little extreme. Very, Very extreme, extreme. And also, again, from a guy who's been with a program that has bought players before. You know, this is not a big mystery that goes on in major well, college sports. Well, so to now act like, well, we, we would never do that, that goes on. I mean, that has happened uh, under Nick Saban. Saban. Saban is, of course, that's going on. But Jimbo Fisher. He went, he went too far that way, too. I mean, to We say, do things the right way. I don't even know what collectives do here. Give me a break. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I understand we have one, but so, I don't know what they do. So on one, in one breath, he's saying, we, have, we don't buy players here. And on the second breath, he's saying, I don't know what the collectives do. I don't keep up with that. That's, that's not a part of the athletic program. And I'm paraphrasing that answer. But you, it, both can't be true. Both can't be true if you haven't been buying players. And to only point to one NIL deal amongst, I mean, to me, that, that speaks volumes in and of itself. Billy Lucci said that. He was like, look, of these recruits, only one's got a major NIL deal. And he's not counting, like, you know, the local barbecue stand. Small, small ones. Well, um, this was but, coming out. Right when I was leaving town and I sent you guys this tweet, which I'm sure you would have seen anyway from Travis Johnson, where he laughed and sent it to Mike Rodak, who now reports on Alabama, old colleague of mine at ESPN, who said, y'all been paying for players since the 80s, offered me six figures in 99, 2000, and gave Albert Means and his coaches six figures during that time. And now you swear you're not paying anybody? Like the kids say, C-A-P or CAP. I don't know what that means. Y'all was NIL before NIL. <laughs> Which is, is true. Uh, Albert Hainsworth all just took – he posted photos of former Bama players with their Ferraris <laughs> as well. Stay tuned. Headlines next. Phone booths and A.J. Brown. <laughs> 